Hello, I'm Leanne Townsend, a family law lawyer and chair of the family law group at Mills and Mills LLP. Welcome to Divorcing Well. In this week's episode, I'm really excited to have as my guest, Kimball Lewis. And the topic that we're going to be chatting about is something that I see come up a lot with clients, and that is how to co-parent a child with behavioral problems. So Kimball has some expertise in this, and I'm really excited to chat about it. So welcome to the podcast, Kimball. Thanks, Leanne. Thanks for having me. So before we get into the meat of the topic, can you tell listeners a little bit about your background? And I know um, you're CEO of a company called Empowering Parents. So Mm -hmm. give us a little bit of information about that. So first and foremost, I'm the parent of two teenage boys. So that um, anyone who's parents out there knows that 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 makes you uh, more of an expert than a lot of people. You got to have kids to understand a lot of this stuff. Uh, And then uh, for the last six years, I've been CEO of EmpoweringParents.com, but I do a lot of editorial work there. And what we do is we provide help for parents who are struggling with kids that have behavior problems. And the main thing we have is a program called the Total Transformation Program, which is a comprehensive approach for dealing with child behavior problems. And most of the parents that come to us, they find us on the web usually, and they're, they're looking for um, solutions to just sort of constant problems. Like the, when people contact us, they usually say, I'm on my wit's end, I'm not sure what to do constant fighting with my child or my child, you know, won't even go to school, that type of thing. And they, they need to, something has to change within the household. So they come to us and we help them with those. Yeah. Do you help parents of children who are like specific ages or could it be, you know, a five-year-old and a 15-year-old? Yeah, we, we, uh, our age ranges are from age five to 25. And the, the concepts are pretty much the same throughout, but, you know, specific consequences that you might apply in that type of thing will change. And it's, the reason we started started five and not earlier is before that kids don't necessarily have the ability to comprehend consequences and that type of thing. So it's a different approach for smaller kids. But once they're five or six, they you know they'll understand consequences and and how you apply these things. And then up up to age twenty five, we have a lot of parents come to us that have adult kids living at home still, um, <laughs> you know, over twenty one. We um, <laughs> we cut it off at twenty five, and we actually explain this to parents. So if you have a twenty six or twenty seven year old out there. Our philosophy is that if you've got a 28 or 29-year-old child living with you or older, you've got a roommate problem, not a, not a parent-child <laughs> problem. Because, because part, of, part of our approach is that there's a, the parent is the authority figure in the household, so it's not, it's not a complete equal thing. It's not like two roommates. But when you have two adults living together, it ends up, it's, really, it's almost a roommate issue at that point. Even though there are adult-child stuff going on, it's almost more effective to see it that way. So anyway, so we're 5 to 25 is the age range that we look at. Now, where are you based out of? We are, I'm in Florida, actually. Uh, we're, we're remote like a lot of companies are now, but originally we were out of Maine. So we have a, we have a few uh, coaches. We, have, we do parent coaching also. So when you sign up for our programs, you can work with a coach. Uh, and originally we were out of Maine, but we work worldwide. We have customers in like 30 or 40 countries. So anyone that has internet wow. access can, can contact us. So That's mostly English speaking. So we have a lot of, a lot of Canada, a lot of US, Canada, but we have UK, Ireland, New Zealand, Australia, and then That's a lot great. of expats that are around the country. Like we, you know, we'll, we'll get people in, like we had a customer in Mongolia once. I mean, that was, but it was oh, an wow. expat. It was, it was, it was an Australian citizen living in Mongolia. So, <laughs> so I guess the, the first question to start with is why do kids act out? So we have a, we have a philosophy on this, which is that 
fundamentally, it's a problem solving issue. And what I, what I mean by that is, is kids have uh, a problem that they're facing and they can, actually, they can actually solve that problem by doing things that are effective and mature, or they can act out to solve that problem. And, and the, the problem is that acting out often works for them. So when I say problems, I mean like they're emotional problems. So when you're seven, eight, nine, you might be for the first time in your life experiencing frustration or anxiety or, or sadness, things that emotions that you're not used to or not familiar with, and you're not sure how to cope with those things. And very often you cope with them by acting out. Like you get frustrated with a toy or you get frustrated with your sister. You don't know what to do. You, you, you start hitting or yelling or screaming or, or behaving poorly. So, and, and the idea is that will actually solve the problem for them. And in the short term, it actually does a lot of times. You know, a child throws a tantrum. A lot of times they end up getting what they wanted out of the tantrum, um, that type of thing. And then there's, there's um, social problems. Kids start, you know, as they get older, they're interacting with other kids and interacting with adults. A lot of times they may not know how to interact well, and they will make other kids angry at them. They're not sure how to deal with that, and they act out as, as a result. And then, and this is one of the really common ones, there's functional problems, which is basically how do you start meeting the responsibilities you have as you become older as a child? You know, when you're three and four, you don't really have any responsibilities. Uh, when you hit seven, eight, nine, ten, and then when you become an adolescent, you start having responsibilities. You you have chores, you have homework you have to do, you have all those things you have to do, and you may not know how to to handle the problem of having responsibilities. Uh, a lot of it's 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 a learning a self discipline type thing, but the kids will act out as a response, and a lot of times that works. So child doesn't want to do their homework or doesn't want to put down the electronics to do their homework. They act out. They start yelling and screaming. And if they do it enough, a lot of times the parents, and, and this is with chores also, if they complain enough and make enough of a fight about it, the parents will actually throw up their hands and just say, you know, it's not worth it. You know, it's easier for me to do it. It'll be much easier for me to do the chores on my own than it would be to fight with my child again tonight about it. And I'm tired. I just don't want to deal with it. And that worked. So that worked for the child. The child acted out yeah. and, and they actually got a reward for it. The, the problem is it works at home with your parent, but when you get into the real world, those are not good life skills to have. And then life gets more complicated. The problems get more difficult. And when the problems start getting more difficult, if your only solution is to act out, then you start acting out more and more and more. And then you end up like a legal problem. And it's just not, it's not a good place to be. So we look at that as a problem solving issue. When the nap, the thing that always seems to happen, um, you know, when children act out is the first thing people do is they blame the parents. They're, you know, that Johnny or, you know, Jane is, you know, they're using, you know, they're experimenting with drugs or they're getting in trouble at school. So, you know, their parents must be to blame. And so are parents to blame? Uh, we take the approach that the that the parents are not to blame for the child's behavior. There are what we call effective parenting and ineffective parenting approaches, but most of the parents that we're dealing with, they're not abusive. They're, they mean well for their kids. They're trying to be good parents. And what we call, we have this concept of a good enough parent. They're just trying to get by and they're, they're, doing, they're doing their best and they have a kid who's just difficult. And the problem with blaming the parent for the child's behavior is it takes the responsibility off the child and the responsibility needs to be on the child. You see this all the time with schools where a child will have a problem in school and you'll see other parents say they have to hold those parents accountable for that child's behavior, 
We take a very different approach and say, no, we need to hold the child accountable for the child's behavior, not the parent. And, and even at home, you need to hold the child accountable for the behavior, not the parent. Um, it's just, and there, there's a lot of other issues around that also, which is that if you start blaming yourself for your child's behavior and you start holding yourself accountable for your child's behavior, it creates incredible guilt. The child knows it. The child starts, and the child will believe it actually. The child will believe that the reason I behave badly is because of, of, of the parent. And then they feel like they don't have control over their behavior at that point. It's not their fault. So it's, it's very important just from an effective standpoint that, that you hold the child responsible for their behavior. So for you know parents out there who are trying their best to be a quote unquote good parent, can a parent like that have a child who is acting badly? Yeah, and we um you know if you know anyone that has like several kids, it's, this is so common. They'll have two kids that are fine. And then one child is a problem. And it's not the it's not the parents, you know, the parents raised all three kids the same way, but one of one of them is just a difficult child. Often those childs are very successful in life. If they can channel, <laughs> if they can channel their defiance, their opposition well, they become very successful in life. But uh, they become a challenge for the child. And and the parents like, I don't know what's wrong, I don't know what I did wrong with the third one. And the the, the truth is kids are different. And some kids figure out on their own or with very little coaching how to learn how to behave better and, and learn effective behavior. And some kids don't. Um, and those are the kids that those are the kids whose parents come to us for help because you need to sometimes have a comprehensive approach for dealing with those kids that are, that are just difficult. So uh, now we've all seen parents that, you know, are, I don't like to use the words good and bad. And I know I'm using that a lot, but you know, they're, they're absentee parents or they have substance abuse issues that are taking over their life and, you know, or they're, you know, their one parent isn't in the picture at all. And the other parent is, you know, inattentive and, you know, there's children coming out of those families who are acting out. And so in those situations, to me, it would be easy to, to blame the parents say, of course, the child's having problems. It's an, it was inevitable with that sort of upbringing and that parenting, do you still hold a child accountable for their behavior in that type of situation? Uh, we, our, our position is that the child, if the child is behaving badly, you still need to hold them accountable for their behavior. It's, it's, a, it's of a benefit to the child. It's, it's good for the child to, to realize that there are consequences for the behavior. And when you and this happens when we, we, we work with families where they'll have two or three kids and, and the parents get so fed up with one of the kids is that they even stop. They stop trying at that point. They don't hold the child accountable. The child That sends the message to the child that that child's defective and that it's not even worth trying anymore. And the other, they see other kids in the classroom or other kids in the family being held accountable and then they get a pass. And they look at themselves, there must be something wrong with me. I'm getting the pass and no one else gets the pass. So we don't hold them accountable for, for our benefit. It's not fun to it's not fun to do consequences and hold kids accountable. We do it because it's good for them. Like like you set limits for your kids and you hold them accountable because it's it's actually good for the child. So we're gonna look that way. And there's another piece that's involved in all this is that if you start blaming yourself for your child's behavior and you you have all of this this guilt, you you have trouble holding your kid accountable and you become we don't say good parent, bad parent. 
we say effective parenting skills and ineffective parenting skills. And some people are using a combination of both. And we, what we try to point out is, yes, these things you're doing are effective. These things are not effective. Maybe you should try doing more of this. And, and things, you're, you're right about substance abuse. When, when parents come to us, there's like a serious substance abuse uh, issue in the family. Uh, most of our stuff is on, online, like parents call us and, and um, we do online coaching and work through our programs. But if you have a serious substance abuse problem in the family, uh, we actually probably won't take you on as a client. What we'll say is you have you need to deal with some local resources. You have something like like very important going on. You have to take care of uh, first. You know, it's like if you yeah. if your house is on fire, you got to get the house fire out first before you can deal with other stuff. So when when it's when it's severe issues like abuse or there's um, uh, substance abuse issues, you really need to you really need to find professionals and start working on those things because almost nothing else matters at that point. So that but, makes but, sense. But most of the people that come to us are. The, the, the huge common, lots and lots and lots of families from all different perspectives uh, that are just having a, a problem with uh, kids who are just defiant or got to with the wrong crowd or throwing tantrums, those types of things. So now do the tools that a parent should use to manage problematic behavior vary depending on the age of the child? Uh, yes and no. So the, the, the fundamental philosophy and approach, which is you're holding your child accountable for their behaviors. And there's two things going on. You hold them accountable for their behaviors that are, that are not appropriate behaviors. And you do that to make sure that those behaviors no longer work for them. They're not effective in solving the problem. And at the same time, you want to coach them on, on, on what they can do instead. We're always talking about what can you do instead of hitting your sister when you're frustrated with her. And we work on those alternative behaviors. So making sure that making sure the bad behaviors are not rewarded, and then you offer your child alternative behaviors, and then you coach them through the process of learning that. And that's same the same whether they're five or they're or they're twenty five. What's different is is what are appropriate consequences for various age levels and that type of thing. Keeping in mind that as a child gets older, the goal is independence. You you really want the child independent, and you want to give them you know. You want to give them more and more freedom and more and more ability to make decisions on their own. So we set limits. Limit setting is important, but you want to try to expand those limits as, as the child gets older because we, one of the things we, we point out to parents is we're not raising kids, we're raising adults. You want to raise an adult, not a child. So That makes sense. Because of the nature of my work dealing with uh, clients who are going through divorce, one of the things I often see, uh, you know, in particularly in high conflict cases is, you know, parents not agreeing on, they have different parenting styles and they have different, you know, they don't agree on discipline issues or how to, how to parent essentially. So if you have a child who is, you know, acting out and you have parents who are in high conflict and don't agree on what to do about it, first of all, do you ever work with parents in that type of situation? It's common. Yeah. It happens a lot. And um, so what, how do you approach that? Even after divorce. And it actually happens among married parents also. So uh, one, of the, one of the programs that, that we offer is called Two Parents, One Plan, which is what, what do you do when two parents, how do you get them on the same page? Uh, so what the way the way we approach is when we're very honest with parents when when you have a joint custody situation and a child could and a child is living in two homes you know half the time and one the other you make the rules in your home and your spouse makes the rules in their home 
unless there's an abuse issue, you don't have a say in what goes on in that home for the rules. And they don't have a say what goes on in your home in the rules. So we just point that out because if, because if you think that you can change the rules in that home, you may not be able to. So it, it actually absolves it, it. It's actually a relief for a parent to realize that they don't have control over that situation. And then they, they start refocusing on the things they do have control over, which is, which is the rules within their own home. And you want to, you want to make sure that, that you explain to your child, look, these are the rules in our home at your dad's home. It's different. I don't have control over your dad's home. When you're in our house, this, these are what the rules are. So it's, this is actually a very difficult uh, situation to be in. Um, and, it, and it is very challenging, but you have to, it's just the fact of the matter is you don't have control over what's going on in that other household. Very often, if the parents, see the parents in a divorce situation are often in conflict, as you know, and, and will often do things spiteful to one another, all those types of things. Uh, they often, hopefully, this is the best case scenario, share a common goal, which is that they are interested in the development and the behavior of their child to get to improve or get better if they're struggling in school. Like it could be that both parents both want the kid to do better in school. Uh, and if you can identify the fact that you have common goals co- and common interests, uh, there are there are ways to try to figure out at least at least at a, at a minimum agree that look we have a common goal here we have different ideas on how to approach that, that problem. Uh, and in this big sea of disagreement, there are islands where, where you may agree on things. And we recommend that parents find where those islands are and focus their time on the places where they agree and they can apply that to the child. It's a very difficult situation though. It's not, it's not easy. So. Have you ever had to turn away a family because the conflict level between the two parents was just so high that you didn't think you'd be able to help? Yeah. Well, we're always, we have plenty of customers. And we want to we want to be able to help our customers. And if we think a customer is going to benefit more with local resources, we will we will tell them that. Well, actually, when we're working with them, you know, this is this this is too much. You need someone on the ground who can help you uh, in those situations. So, so sometimes we do. It depends on the situation. Now, a lot of parents, you know, when they're going through a divorce, they have a lot of guilt, and also when, you know, as parents, I'm a parent too, and when you know when you make a mistake. You know, often you you have guilt about that sort of thing, and if it affects your child, or if your child is acting out, uh, you know, if you're going through a divorce and your child's acting out, you might be thinking, "Oh, poor Johnny, you know, this divorce is hard on him." Of course, he's acting out, and they have guilt. So, how can parents deal? I mean, you talked about it a little bit by the not blaming themselves for the behavior, but maybe you can elaborate a little more on you know how they can learn not to feel guilty about their mistakes uh, and its impact on their children. So one of, one of the things that we see happen a lot, we counsel parents on this, is not to forego consequences out of guilt. Because again, the con- consequences and holding a child accountable are for the child's benefit to learn how to behave better. So even though you might feel guilty, you might be blaming yourself, the reason they're acting out is because of the divorce. Uh, you still need to hold them accountable because that's that's for the benefit of the child. So we're very clear on this. Like, don't out of guilt, forego consequences for your child. Now, understand that that divorce and stresses can affect a child's behavior. That can, that can definitely happen, but they still need to, to be accountable for it. But, but we point out to parents, you know what else? The death of a parent causes those problems. Boyfriend-girlfriend relations causes those problems. In fact, in life, there are, there are many, many, many things which called, cause stresses on people that affect their behaviors. And this is just one of them they're going to have to deal with. And you're going to have to learn. And one of the one of the things that we we say very often is that 
And this comes up in esteem. Like, I don't know if you've heard about like, like there's this, there's this whole thing, the esteem movement. It's still going on to, to some extent, but the reason kids don't behave well is because they have low self-esteem. We agree that kids with low self-esteem don't behave well, but we sort of disagree with a lot of people on the approach, which is that we haven't seen it very effective to work on a child's esteem and then the behavior gets better. But what we do see is you work on the behavior and the, and the esteem improves. So, so we have this, we have this saying where you can't feel yourself, you can't feel your way to better behavior, but you can behave your way to better feelings on, on all these things, whether it's divorce or steam issues or whatever, the goal is, the goal is appropriate behavior, regardless of how you're feeling. Um, it's not appropriate to hurt and abuse other people because you're not feeling, because you're in a situation where you're not feeling good about yourself or, or something's going on. So again, the goal is, the goal is appropriate behavior, regardless of how you're feeling. And we, and we, you know, we point out, we have this speed limit example where speed limit 65 or uh, you're in Canada, right? So speed limit hundred, is it hundred? Yeah. Per hour? Okay. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't say underneath, unless you're feeling bad about yourself today, then you can go 200. Like it doesn't say that it's a hundred, no matter how, how you're feeling about yourself. So. No, I, I think that, you know, really resonates, yeah. uh, certainly with me because I think, you know, when you do things, you know, it properly, or you, you know, you accomplish a goal or you behave appropriately, it does make someone just naturally feel better about themselves because they know they, you know, that they did that or they did the right thing or they, you know, accomplished a goal or, or whatever it might be. So yeah. I, I think that makes a lot more sense than just trying to, in some sense, almost falsely, boot, I don't want to say like boosting a child's self, trying to boost a child's self-esteem when they haven't like, all they're doing is acting out and behaving right, you know, right. inappropriately. It's like how the child can see through that in, in a lot of ways. They I know. Think, they know. Yeah, exactly. Like, why they are you know. praising me? I didn't do anything, you know? Yeah. Esteem is built by doing something that's hard and knowing you can do it, not by someone telling you you did a great, you know what I mean? So they know, they know. Yeah. Now, have you ever worked with um, parental alienation type situations? Where a child, you know, really, you know, is acting out against one one of the parents and not the other, and has perhaps been influenced by one of the parents. Yeah, we um, in a, in a divorce situation, uh, kids are smart. They'll they will play parents off of one another, and we see that. And we coach parents to recognize when that's happening, and it's a hard situation. A lot of time, and this is what happens also. With the, the parent will tell the child something about the other parent that that child yeah. should not know, should know nothing about, but they start telling them like really bad stuff that might, might be true, might not be true, but stuff that child shouldn't ought to know about the other parent. We recommend a, you, you can't, you can't stop that. Like the, the parent's going to do that. Our recommendation is, is if the child brings that up, you basically say to them, that's, that's between your father and I or your mother and I, or that's, that's none of your business, or that, that has nothing to do with you in this household and following the rules. And then, and then you don't have to have that, continue that conversation. If you get all worked up and upset about it and get angry at it, the child knows that they have, they've got you because kids, kids have very little power in this world. Like they're not the bosses of anyone. They're not in charge at school. They're not in charge of anything, but like in very many cases, they're in charge of their parents. Like they can yeah. they can make another they can make another human being in this world like cry and scream and yell the way they can like it's an incredible power that they have and they'll actually <laughs> use it so so you want to you want to we have the saying you don't have to attend every argument that you're invited to this is the same type of thing if your child starts bringing up those issues you just say that that's that has nothing to do with you in this household 
and I'm not going to talk about that. And you disengage. So disengaging is actually a very powerful tool when your child is using arguing or information another parent fed them um, uh, to use against them. You just you disengage, and it sends the message that's not going to work with me. It's yeah, hard. That's why I definitely it's hard, and you should offer yourself some grace. And if if you don't handle it well every single time, because this is uh you want you want to have a higher you want to. You want to do well on average. You can't, none of us are perfect. We're going to react. We're going to have other issues or whatever. You just want to know that, look, it's not effective. Next time I'm going to not react the same way. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's great advice. Yeah. I know, you know, one thing I always say to clients, you know, because I always tell them you shouldn't badmouth the other parent. And I mean, I think any divorced parent, if they were to be completely honest and you ask them, have you ever said anything bad about the other parent? to your child, I, I think most parents would be lying if they said they never, ever have, you know, in the moment you get off a bad phone call or, and the child happens to be in the room, it happens, but you know, just going to your last point, it's like, as long as you get it right more often than you don't, that's the key. Yeah. Half the battles know me. It's just not effective. You know, we all yell at our kids, but we have this thing of yelling work we wouldn't have any behavior problems. Like whenever kids acted up, you'd yell at them and then eventually the problem would be <laughs> solved. But, but parents are coming to us. have been yelling at their kids for two <laughs> years and nothing's changed. It doesn't work. So yet yeah. there's no one alive who hasn't yelled at their kids. Like we all yell at our kids. You just have to realize it's not effective. And next time you say, next time I'm not going to, I'm going to be better at it. And that's actually, that reminds me of something, which is that when parents come to us, it's not because it happened once. It's, it's, it's because these are happening over and over and over again. And that's actually a, an advantage because you can, since it's happened so many times, you know it's going to happen again. And when we work with parents through the, through the programs that we have and then through our coaching, we say, okay, let's put a plan together for the next time this happens. And when you have a plan in place as to what you're going to do the next time it happens, you go into just execution mode. So, so the, the thing happens and then it's like, you don't react anymore out of like anger. You react out of, oh, I have a plan for this and I'm going to put that plan in the place and I'm going to do step one, two, three. And you can do it very calmly at that point. And you, and you use the fact that it happens over and over and over again to your benefit. Put a plan together. So How, how important is it that parents be on the same page with respect to like discipline and behavior issues? So, you know, you have a, a like when, when different households, I know you mentioned at the beginning, and I agree with that, that you can't change what's going on in the other household yeah. and you can only control your household. But if you're doing, you know, if you're trying your best to do, you know, effective parenting in your home and then your children are spending half the time in another home where things are being done very differently, is the how, how, like, how effective are you going to be able to really help curb that behavior when it might still be allowed to go on in the other home half the time? Uh, it's a challenge. I'm, I'm not going <laughs> to lie to you. That's, that's a hard yeah. situation. And again, you, have, you only have control over what's going on in, in your household. If you're, if you're together or if that's happening, and let's say the parents generally do get along or, or they, both, they both have a shared interest in, in, in raising the kids or whatever. From a discipline standpoint, we always recommend that if parents can get on the same page, it's very important if they can get on the same page. And sometimes that means taking an approach that you don't agree with because you want to be a unit, you want to be unified in how you are approaching a child's behavior problem. And sometimes it means that the other parent's going to do what you think is the right thing. And sometimes you have to do what the other parent thinks is the right thing. And 
and what we recommend in those situations is, is if you can have a normal, reasonable conversation with your, with your ex about this, ahead of time, you say, okay, let's ask ourselves, how are we going to know if what we're doing is working? And let's assess things in three months or a month or whatever. And, and let's agree to assess how this is working. And that, that's actually fairly powerful. So if you're trying to get your child to study better and they have different or, or have motivation issues and you have different approaches on how you're going to deal with that, say, okay, we'll do, I'll do what you, what you suggest, what you want to do, but let's meet in three months and see where we are. Let's see how things are going. And then have a meeting. And then, and then at that point, um, oftentimes, you, oftentimes a parent will come around. Doesn't doesn't happen every time. But, but there's a lot of, we see a lot of success cases on these things. So. That's great. And, um, and you've probably seen this with divorces. I, my, I'm, I'm a child of my parents' divorce. Year one was terrible. Two was bad. But by year four and five, like things change. It's not, a, it's not always going to be the way it is now three or four years down the road. Like the situation can get better if you put effort, if you put efforts toward it. So. Definitely. I mean, and I see a lot of people in the initial stages, they're fighting, fighting about the amount of parenting time they want. And then, you know, once things kind of settle down, they realize that, Hey, like, I actually don't mind having the time when my children are with the other parent, because it gives me a chance to have some time to myself and build, you know, build my life on my own too. So they, but initially they, they don't understand that that's, yeah. you know, ultimately maybe how they feel. One of the things that I see happening with some of my client situations these days is situations where you have a, a child who's, you know, in their early teens, who one of the parents is kind of letting call all the shots. So, you know, as an example, um, a situation where there's a child who doesn't want to, to go to only wants to go to school online doesn't want to go to like a regular school and you have one parent who is of the mindset well that's what she wants to do she, you know i'm going to let her decide i'm supportive of that and then you have another parent the other parent who's saying well no wait a minute i want her to go to like the regular school system and get you know a public education and and all of that and you know, is it, you have a parent, as they say, who's just letting the child kind of call the shots. Uh, what do you say to parents who have a child in that age range who think it's that a child that old, you know, it should be making those kind of decisions for themselves? Uh, we will recommend that the parents, the authority in the household, and that and that you want it, you want to treat your kids independently. I mean, you want you want them to become independent, and you want them to have a say, but there's an awful lot of things in life that, that parents just do the, just through age and wisdom and, and, and also it's their household. Someone, someone has to be in charge. It's either the kids or the parents or someone or the neighbor. But, but our, our viewpoint is that the, the parent is probably the most important, the most appropriate person uh, to, to sort of be in charge of these issues. And they, and they should have a say in it, not about a say, they should have the final say everyone else should have input. But they should be open about about the idea of like, well, maybe this isn't like my wife and I don't agree on everything with our kids, and there are things that I didn't agree with, and we try something, and then and then I'm like, oh, yeah, that turned out fine. That's that's I thought that's great or whatever. But we we think the parents need to be the boss in the household. Like, there's no one else. There's no one else who's going to play the role of parent. There's only one parent. It's not going to be your neighbor. It's not going to be the school teacher. It's not, and it's a very special role. Uh, and you know, when your child becomes an adult, you can have you can change that role around a little bit. But but they need a parent. They need someone to set limits. So it's what you do. 
Yeah, I agree. And it, you know, and I say that to my clients, I, you know, I say that, you know, children sometimes don't want to go to school or they don't want to go to the dentist or they don't want to go to the doctor. And it's your job as a parent to make sure that they do these things because you know that ultimately it's good for them to, to do them and they may yeah. not understand that. And even when your child is physically bigger than you yeah, as a parent, that's... you still should be able to have some way of having control over them to get them to do things that they don't want to do. But I yeah. come across some parents who seem to have surrendered that control to the child and they seem to think that, well, what can I do that, you know, they're bigger than me. I can't pick them up and physically make them go somewhere. They don't want to go. So I can't, they, it's like they wash their hands of it. And that just seems so wrong to me. Yeah. yeah. Now, now they, they, they do have a point, which is you can't like, it's almost impossible to make someone do something that they can't do that they don't want to do. Like you can't make someone do something, but what the parents have control over are consequences and accountability. And when they don't, when they do something, or they're not doing something they're supposed to be doing, you you apply a you you apply real consequences and you do it consistently so that they're not rewarded for that. So, so so they do have a point in that they can't make a child necessarily do something, but you can't give up and say there's no consequences. Say, like, well, if you're not going to do that, these are the consequences. You like, there's no phone, there's no like, there's a whole bunch of things you can do that eventually the child will come around, and and almost always they come around. There's a few cases where where uh, where they don't, but um, almost always they come around. What are you know, some of the biggest mistakes that you see parents making? Well, one thing I, I was thinking about that, and you know, if you go, if you look at our programs and go on our site, there's a whole bunch of things around like what's an effective consequence, what's not an effective consequence, things like that. But one of the things I always try to point out to parents, this is really important, is to not take your child's behavior personally. And what I mean by that is so many, so many parents come to us when they have these conflicts, the parent, the child's yelling at them. I hate you. F you like just saying horrible, terrible things. And in a divorce situation, maybe saying that thing that the other parent told them about them that they shouldn't have known, just say horrible things. And, and we tell parents, don't take it personally. You need to view it as a behavior issue. They're going back to the original thing we were talking about, which is this problem solving. Why do kids, why do kids act out because they're trying to solve problems? That, that hatred and that yelling and that saying horrible things to the parent is a problem solving technique, and, and it's a, and it's a behavior issue. And we tell them to view it as a behavior issue. One is because if if you take it personally, you're going to react in ways that are not effective. And two, it really is a behavior issue. And three, if you take it personally it's going to be really hard for you to offer your child grace because we see, we see child kids come around and improve all the time. And if you've taken that behavior personally, it's hard to forgive your child for those things that they said when it's been a behavior problem. And you don't want to be in a situation where you can't forgive your child for, for something they said to you. Uh, you want, you want to, you want to offer them grace. You want to offer them that forgiveness. And it's just much more effective. Like your child will come around, your child will be in a much better place if you cannot take those behaviors. Yeah, I think that's that's great advice. Now, can you tell us a little bit about the services you offer? So if, if a parent, you know, who's listening to this podcast were to contact you um, and want some help, like how do you how do you work with them? Okay. So we're we're at a website called empoweringparents.com. And uh, we have hundreds of free articles on parenting, so you can look you can look through our articles. 
Uh, but we often we also offer the Total Transformation Program, which is an online self-guided program of audio, video, text, and some workbook materials. Takes about takes about two months if you do a unit a week to go through. That'll give you sort of the fundamentals about why kids act out, and and how to effectively deal with kids who are acting out on a regular basis. And then in addition to that, and that's what we recommend for everyone is that they go through the Total Transformation Program. It gives them the foundation. Gives them it empowers the parents with the skills that professionals have when they're dealing with kids that have behavior problems. And then in addition to that, if you're working on the Total Transformation Program. Uh, you can sign up for our parent coaching. And what our coaches do is they're experts in the programs and they will work through the program with you. You set up like a weekly phone call. You can go over things like what are the effective consequences for my child staying out beyond curfew or or, or um, hitting their sister or, or, or whatever it is. And our coaches will work through who are experts in the programs as to how to deal with these issues and, and give you support. A lot of times parents are doing the right thing. It just takes time. These are, these are ingrained behavior problems with kids, it doesn't take a week to, to solve. It could be you're doing all the right things and, and in a month you'll start seeing benefits. Sometimes you see changes in a week. Other times it can take it can take a, a month or two. So and so is the best place for people to find you empowering parents.com. Mm-hmm. And we okay. encourage you to sign up for our newsletter. You'll get you'll get two or three parenting articles uh, sent per week and you'll get information about how to sign up for the total transformation program. Well, thank you so much, Kimball. It's been a pleasure having you on the podcast. As I said, I think this is a really great topic, and I'm sure lots of people are going to benefit from all of this information. So thank you. Thank you, Leanne. And thank you to my listeners. Please tune in each week. Please like, subscribe, and review, and join me here again next week on Divorcing Well. Hi, my name is Janet Finaki, and I'm the host of the Resilient People podcast. I interview regular people from around the world who've experienced something major in their lives, bounced back, and found a purpose in helping others be resilient too. They're folks like you and me, and their stories are totally relatable, extraordinary, and inspiring. I had no idea what I could do until I did it. But it's the motivation of doing for other people that you know need support, need help, that you're able to really push and dig and find what you can do. Have an open discussion and not write us off and allow us to actually talk about our disability. Like, don't assume my limits mm-hmm. for me. You know, we went for a drive, told her what her mom was going through and what the likely outcome is going to happen. And we both just bawled. And then finally, Kate just said that we need to have hope. And to be resilient, you have to, you have, to have hope. Join me as we get to know some incredibly resilient people. The Resilient People Podcast is everywhere you get your podcasts. Subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Thank you for joining me on Divorcing Well. If you have any separation or divorce questions, you can get in touch with me via my website at www.leannetownsend.ca.